or at least they've heard that Jesus has died for their sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for the gift of life and how you continue to minister to us because, Lord, you are our strength and you are the one in whom we lean upon. You're the one in whom we trust. And, Lord, it's only by your grace that we've been called out of darkness and into your marvelous light. It's only, Lord, by your mercy and grace we are prosperous. We are a people who are not destitute. We are a people who are not orphans. But we are a people, Lord, who you desire to make shine in a dark world. May you minister to us this morning that we might catch the hope and the dreams of one individual who stood in the gap for a nation. May you speak to us from history. May we hear you, O God, and recognize that, Lord, you are the sovereign God of history. There is no past without you. There's no history without you. There's no sorrows or evil without you. But that, Lord, you are the God who has seen us all down through the ages. And you tell the people of this time to look back at the ancient ones, to look back at their forefathers, to look back. And, Lord, help us to do that, that we might mature and build a brighter future. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Remembering history, Martin Luther King made this statement. He simply said, I have come to the conclusion that the ultimate measure of a man is not where he finds himself in a time of comfort, in a time of comfort, in a time of ease. In a time when everything is going well, he finds himself in a moment of comfort and moments of convenience. But where he finds himself in moments of challenges and moments of controversy. When you stand in the midst of controversy, do you take the biblical position and stand? Or do you take the worldly position of self-reasoning and and stand? Oftentimes, we make the big mistake of measuring people by titles and by their riches. Rather than how do they perform during a time of crisis in their life. That's the real measure. That's when the real test is being given. Is how you stand during the time of your crisis in your life. Will you stand for the Lord? Or will you buckle? Will you fall? Remembering history is important. And we want to be able to do that. History is, is important to understand. Our past helps to build a brighter future. And somebody might be saying, well, Paul said, forgetting your past and press on. And what Paul basically saying is this, don't let your past hold you from your future or moving forward. You're going to remember your past, but which baggage you choose to pick up and carry with you will be your choice. And you're the one who have to begin to look from which you've come. But understand this principle. If you don't discover God's fingerprints upon your past and how God has kept you and how God has seen you through some of the worst times of life and how God is holding you even at this very present time, you miss the sovereign God. You miss him. You miss him. 
Because you should be able to see those fingerprints of God. You should be able to see where God has helped you and where God has moved and opened a door where God has done certain things in your life. You should be able to see that. Go to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. Because we are a people who quickly forget. Go to verse 10. And the Lord makes this statement for a reason. He says, Do not remove ancient boundary stones. Understanding this, they set up stones as a way of remembering what God had done. They set up these altars as they traveled. And in your life, maybe you've set up some altars. you set up some stones. Because in those altars and those stones that were set, those boundary lines that were set, there's a story to be told. There's a story to be told. There's something that God wants you to remember and to hold fast to. And he says, do not, do not remove the ancient boundaries or encroach on the fields of thy, what? Fatherless. He wants you to hold. He wants you to look back. He wants you to look at that marker. Because there's his fingerprint. There's his action. There's his work. There's something he's doing. Go over the 37. Proverbs 37. And 26. Thank you. Right there is no 37. I really messed up on that one. There is no 37. But in the whole process, God wants us, and what the verse is talking about again, is to look at our past. Look back and remember. And to remember. Now, young children would ask, and when I was a young kid in Sunday school, we would ask questions too. And oftentimes it was about what was going on in society. But young children would ask mothers and fathers and grandparents, why segregation? Why racial discrimination? And oftentimes the answer would come back because they felt people were too young to try to understand it. And it would come back, that's the way it is. That's the way it is. The challenge sometimes and the measure of a person, if that's the way it is and is wrong, is to pick up the challenge to change it. My grandson was looking for an apartment in Brooklyn just this month or just last month. And on the telephone, they couldn't tell whether if he was African-American or Caucasian. Anyhow, he got the apartment. But when he showed up, the man politely told him, most likely you won't like living here. This may not be the place for you. Jeremy has never experienced any type of prejudice per se. Or being that directly. The man did everything but other than to indict himself for a suit. Because he didn't cross the line. He kept it on Jeremy's side. You may not like it here. Not that we don't want you here. You may not like it here. He kept it on Jeremy's side. This may not be the place for you. you know. But that's part of learning life. That's part of just going with life. And you have to look at it from a positive place. God doesn't want you there. Let's move on. Amen. And, and, and the whole process, that's something we all have to learn. Don't get in trouble. Don't get in the way. Dr. King inspired many to get in the way and to also get in trouble. John Lewis says that he encouraged people to get in the way and to get in trouble at times.
But you have to pick those moments in which you choose to get in the way. Don't get in the way if you're going to get totally run over. Know when to speak and not to speak. Know when. King helped many to believe that change was possible. Many African Americans, Caucasian, he taught many that change was possible and that the world could be different if we so desired it and we wanted it. And he helped many to come to that place that they were willing to stand in the gap and to help make a change. And that still has to happen today. People have to want to make a change. People have to want to stand in the gap for somebody else. One of the things about our society is simply this. Our interest is only on ourselves. Our interest is only on what I can gain. My interest is all about me moving forward. Until, as scripture says, you die to yourself, you will not bear any fruit. And one of the process for Christians is to learn how to die to themselves and their own interests. That their interests, and this is so hard in our culture because people are so mistrusting. It's hard in society that people can believe that you really want to help somebody. That you really want to help and you want to nurture and you want to build up. Their thing is, what are you going to get out of it? Well, Jesus went to the cross for us. And personally, in one sense, he didn't get anything. But boy, we gained a lot. We gained eternal life. We gained the inheritance of heaven. We gained God's favor. We gained so much through his suffering. Go to Philippians 2 with me. Because, see, this is about life. And this is how you and I have to learn how to live. And we don't like that. But yet, Dr. King was an example of that. Most of the money that he earned or he won, he gave away. And that's why his wife was almost penniless when he died. He gave the majority of it away, caring for the interests of others. When he rented a room in Chicago for the garbage strike of the garbage workers there, he filled his room with teenagers. They were gang members. And the National Guard were out there. And those kids, they had already set forth a plan to be on roofs, tops, storefronts, And they were going to shoot at the National Guard. And King took those young kids into his room. And his room was packed. And he began to share with them a nonviolence. That if you shoot at them, don't think they're not going to shoot back. And many of you will be killed. But there's a better way of doing it. And oftentimes what we have to do in the midst of those things is look for the better way. Look for how God's going to lead you. Look at how God's going to order your steps. But one of the very first things that God says to us, put the other person's interests ahead of your own. Put the other person's interests ahead of your own. And Verse 3. <coughs> Philippians 2.3. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. How do most of us operate? Selfishly, don't we? It's all about who? It's all about me. I'm not going to hurt for nobody. I'm not going to pain for nobody. I'm not going to suffer for nobody. I'm not backing up for nobody. 
And one of the first things you have to learn, that life is not about you. It's not really about you. And he says, boy, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, your own pride. But in humility, consider others better than what? Yeah. Begin to consider others. Look at the plight of others. Look at them. And ask yourself, what can I do for that person? How can I make life better for that person? How can I help that person? And oftentimes we get sidetracked because, boy, when the person does us wrong, we're ready to what? That's the time to stick in there with them. That's the time to stay with them. It's okay to be hurt. It's okay to be taken advantage of. It's okay to suffer. Why? I'm becoming more like Christ. Because it's not about me. It's their interest. It's bringing them from where they are to where God wants them to be. And he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each one of you, each one of you, you know who that includes? Everybody in here today. Each one of you should look not only to your own interests. Now, God knows who we are. And he realized, yes. We're going to look at our interests first. But my interest is not the primary. That old saying is still true. If you don't take care of you, you can't fly. <laughs> but you've got to not just make you the main focus of your life. You've got to make other people the focus of your life. And therefore, he simply said, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. If you really study Martin Luther King, his interest was not about himself. Even when you study the speech that I've been to the mountaintop. It was not about himself. It was about the people and who he has served, the people who he had marched for, the people who he has interceded for. And like he said, yes, he would like to live a long life. But that didn't happen. And all of us would like to live what? A long life. And retire comfortably on our boats, in our condos. But the issue is, are you really living life for the Lord? And I believe this man was living his life for the Lord. Oh, he had his faults. Yes, some say he was a womanizer. Yes. Some said that, oh, he smoked too much, but you didn't catch him out in public too often smoking. Yes, different things were said. How true they are, I really don't know. But in his life story, he tells you when he accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, any of you got a history? Any of you got a past? Any of you got some things that you were ashamed of? Any of you got things you wish you could go back and what? But we can't do that. But we can still be the instruments of God. God still wants to use us. Now, King entered college. Young people, listen to this. King entered college at 15 at Morehouse College. He went into college at 15 years old. 
every young person in this room ought to have that dream, I'm going to college. I'm going. I'm going. Your second dream is, I'm going to finish. Because it's easy to start, but it's hard to finish. But you got to have it in yourself, and you got to dream for yourself. And you have to understand here, Dr. Martin Luther King, he dreamed for a nation when a nation couldn't dream for itself. And you have to dream for yourself. Mom and dad can dream so much for you. But then you got to catch the dream and the drive and the willingness to do it for you. That you become an asset to the society. That you become one that can help in society. You become one that is valuable in the church because of your education, your knowledge. Your know-how. And you want to be able to set that dream. And he set that. And at 15 years old, he finds himself at Morehouse. But his hero, and I try to get my grandchildren to do that, to read biographies of other people. Because you catch other people's dreams. You're able to see other people's hardships. You're able to acknowledge how they overcame certain obstacles in life. You're able to see their strength. And you're able to say sometime when you put the book down, if they can do it, I can do it. And his hero, Mordecai Johnson, president of Howard University at that time. And he read this man, speeches, and he studied the man. A lot of people go very quickly to Gandhi that that was King's hero. That was one of them. We learn from different people. He learned nonviolence from Gandhi. That, that there's fine. But he learned also from this man. He learned how to speak. He read his speeches over and over and over again. He began to pick up the man's ideals. He studied the man. He heard Dr. Johnson say, he said, in the midst of death, life persists. You ever see that? In the midst of death, life persists. My dad, 97 years old, dying at hospital. He's 97, and here's a six-year-old, one of his grandchildren, both in the same room. Two different things are happening. The six-year-old is just now learning how to what? The 97-year-old is... Slowly dying. And in the midst of death, there's still life. There's still life. And you heard him also say that in the midst of darkness, and those days would have been some dark days, in the midst of darkness, light persists. Light persists. Have you ever really been in a real dark room but there's light in another room but the door is shut but you may see the light come around the edge of the door or you see it coming from the bottom of the door in our darkness of time God still allows us if we're looking for it to see the light to see light he'll never just abandon us in total darkness But he'll give us a glimpse of light if we're willing to accept it. From these words and the inspiration came this statement from King as he entered into seminary. He said, we're going to change this nation. Those are some words for a young man. 
I mean, he's in his early 20s, 20, 21, going into seminary. And he says, boy, guess what? We're going to change this nation. Young people, let me ask you something. What are you trying to change? Are you trying to change your present surrounding? Are you trying to change your family's history? Are you trying to change your community? See, I changed my family's history by being the first to go to college. Eighth child, but the first to go. Changed history. Two of my other brothers who are younger than me went to college. Changed history. What you do in your family, somebody else will pick up. And they will aspire to do it too. But you got to break sometime that yoke of family history. It doesn't matter what grandpa may have been or grandma may have been. Or the, what matters is what are you going to be? Hey, what are you going to be? And where have you set your goals, your heights? And what are you going to change? And what are you going to go after? That's important to grab to. Now, understand this. Study your family history. Study your family history. Why? It would help you to avoid the pitfalls. Also, it will help you to do this. You'll pick the ones in your family that will give you wise counsel. Everybody in your family most likely will love you. But everybody can't give you wise counsel. But you'll learn in your family then which ones to talk to when situations arise. Or you will find people outside your family who you can ask, can you help give me direction in this? Can you help give me clarity in this? Can you help me? Can you show me how to do this or reveal this to me? Because when you want to learn, God will put somebody in your path for you to learn. From these words, the inspiration, that boy, I'm going to change a nation. It changed the nation. Now, history shows us what needs to be changed often. And we have to deal with that. And what I want to do for a few moments, we're going to look at some scripture. And we're going to look at a little bit of history. Here comes Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Stephen is a young man. He's not old. Now, don't all you young folks disappear at the same time. But the thing is, you got Stephen. Stephen is in that pressure cooker. Now comes the measure of Stephen as a man. Now comes this measure of Stephen as a Christian. Now comes this measure of Stephen, of how do he see his Savior? Stephen's speech is a historical lesson in Acts 7. So when he gets there, one of the first things that Stephen is asking them to do, he says, hey, all you learned guys, all you educated guys, would you do a favor here? Would you just listen to me? That's all I want you to do. Just listen. So, in that verse 2, he says, To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. So, what he very quickly do, he acknowledged his peers, brothers. Then he acknowledges those who are older than him, fathers. And he recognized there are those who are going to be older who may still know more than what he does. And his peers may know, but they may not know. And he recognizes both. And from that part, (coughs) 
he begins to talk about Abraham. Now understand, you're talking about thousands of years going back. He starts talking about the history of Abraham. And then Jacob, Jacob's father, and the 12 patriarchs. And he talked about Joseph, about Joseph being forgotten. Look with me, if you would, in verse 18. When they were slaves in Egypt, he says, Then another king who knew nothing about Joseph. Uh, this man didn't know nothing about what? The history of who? Egypt. Understand, African American history is not African American history, it's American history. It's American history. Just so happened that African Americans were part of it, but it's American history. And he said, boy, he forgot all about Joseph. And because the ruler of Egypt, he dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babes so that they would die. Now, catch this. If there's ever a person who should have been mad, angry, all messed up, it may have, should have been Moses. It says in that verse 20, at that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. How much time did he have with his parents? Three months. Three months. Only three months. You're talking about somebody who should be bitter, mad, upset, angry, not dysfunctional, depressed? Moses. Three months. But what his parents did for him was what was best for him. And don't think that, boy, they didn't care. Because what they were trying to do is save his life. And if they would have got caught trying to save his life, what would have happened to their life? And there's that three-month period. But then he moves on. <coughs> Excuse me. From Joshua to David to Solomon. And Stephen brings them to a point of facing their own history. Of facing their own history. Go with me to verses 51 in chapter 7 there. Over to 51. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like who? Your fathers. What's he drawing that conclusion from? History. History. He's looking at their fathers and how their fathers behaved. The action of their fathers. And he said, you're just like your fathers. Now he gave them their total history in a sense. <clears throat> and he said, you're just like your fathers. He goes on a little further. <laughs> so he started out. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And that wasn't a slap in the face. You always resist the Holy Spirit. When last time you told somebody, you resist the Holy Spirit? You're not resisting me. You're resisting the Holy Spirit. You're resisting the Word of God. And that's what Stephen is saying to him. You know the day the church resists the Holy Spirit and being obedient to the Spirit, being obedient to the Word? We resist God and oftentimes we are not even aware of it. That's the shameful part of it is that we're not even aware how we're resisting him. And he goes on, he says, 
Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? Boy, you think they took that? Boy, talking about upset? Because we are the children of Abraham, and you're talking to us this way? That we killed the prophets? We killed those who would speak? And only Stephen says, look at your history. Look at your history. And then he says, they even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. Boy. At that point, I'm going to assume there is an uproar. There is an uproar going on in this meeting place. There's this uproar taking place. And it's just amazing. Thank you. See, we don't have a nurse's aid, but we got one. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, but he's showing them their history, and he faces it with them. One of the things sometimes the church neglects is this, is showing our history. And we need, all cultures need to know their history. Everybody need to know how they helped build America, what part they played in America. Every ethnic group needs to know that. And he hits them right between the eyes with their own history. Now, Paul gives, in a sense, two areas of history. He gives one as his Jewish background. (coughs) 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 And he gives another as his history of becoming an apostle. And he deals with these two histories. They're both part of his life. And sometimes there are things in our life we can't avoid. We can't avoid. In the one, he's going to deal more about what it was like before really becoming a Christian. The other one is his history after he becomes a Christian. Hopefully you recognize you got a history before you accepted Christ. And you got a history from the time that you accepted Christ. And you should be able to parallel those two things. And then you should be able to say, taste and see how good the Lord is. From this side. For what God has done. That you understand He is really good. But in Philippians... Chapter 3, 4 through 8, he says, Get there. Though I myself have reason for such confidence, and he's talking about their confidence and people having confidence in the flesh. Paul brings in his past history. If anybody got confidence, I should have it. He says, If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Why? Circumcised on the eighth day. Keeping the law. Right there. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin. I know from which I've come from. I know from which I've come from. I know my history. You know from which you've come from? Do you know your history? Do you sit down with older people in your family and talk about your history? Do you sit and talk with older people about history and gather wisdom? And Paul says, boy, I come from this area, Philippians chapter 3. And he moves on from verse 4 and he just says, I have more. 
Then in verse 5 he says, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. This is what I became in that life. I was a Pharisee. People knew what a Pharisee was, even those who were not Jewish. They understood. And he goes on, he says, as for zeal, persecuting the church. Now, as some people would give their history, sometimes you might want to leave out some bad things. Look what Paul put in there. I persecuted the church. That's not something I applaud myself for doing now. Because I did that in my ignorance. I did that in my unsaved life. I, I did that thinking, understand this. I was right. Because every man seeing himself right, how? In his own eyesight. And from my conclusion at this time, I was right. And I had a zealousness about per- persecuting the church. And he's talking about himself given his own history. And zealous persecuting the church as for legalistic righteousness, catch this, faultless. I was faultless. Nobody could point a finger at me. I carried out the law. I was faultless. I can't say that about Pastor Brown. He got a lot of faults. God's still working. The, the old little signs say that's on some of your refrigerator. God's not done yet. <laughs> He's still working. <laughs> and that's his side before he was converted. Now go to Galatians 1. Galatians 1. The reason I'm doing this is because God has given you a history. God has given this country a history. We all have a history. The question is, do you know it? Do you know it? And all of us got a little dirt in our history. All of us got something we're not proud of in our history. But is it still your history? Yeah. But then there's a history from when you came to a saving knowledge of Christ. So look at verse 11 with me. Paul is saying this based on what happens previously to him in this chapter, especially if you really look at verse 10, but we're not going to go there. Paul said, I'm not about pleasing men. That's not my purpose. But here's my history as of late. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. Boy, no man made this up. I'm preaching something that no man made up. This is from God, not from flesh and blood. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, whether I received it by the revelations from Jesus Christ. How did I receive it? Through Jesus Christ. That Christ himself began to teach me. And Paul recognizes Here is a relationship between him and the Lord that no man can really step into. I want you to understand something. Your relationship with you and God, nobody else can really step into it. The highest voice you should hear is the Lord's. The highest thing that you follow is not the, so much the laws of society, but the word of God. And Paul says, I've learned this from Jesus Christ. And he 
goes on and he explains a little bit further. He says in verse 13, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judea. So he has a what? A history. And Paul says, you already know about my history. But what you may not know about is my late history here. What's happened to me in the last couple of years. You know my history when I was a young man. See, I was sitting with a, a gentleman and just sharing. And we were just sitting out the other day when it was really nice out. And uh, just talking with him and his nephew was there. Nephew just found out. MF this, this, that, everything else. And a, a young man laid his bike down, his motorcycle down, to avoid from hitting a woman who was pulling out in front of him. Well, she stopped, but then he started cussing at her and going out, and he went after the young man because he wasn't going to let the young man beat up on this older woman. She was 65 or older. But he's just using all kind of profanity and everything, and he told the young man, that's not going to happen today now. You're not going to beat up on her. And the lady just took on off. And we're just there. And then the, his nephew said, he don't know my uncle. If my uncle was 20 years younger, he would have had a cap in him. Or he would have been shot. We all have that what? History. We all have it. You know. and, and the whole process is not about the person's past. It's about their what? And what I'm trying to do is slowly walk this person to Christ. So every chance I get to just stop by and sit with him in his driveway or just talk with him. So he told me, he said, I am going to just come over. I'm going to come over to the church. I am going to come. And I didn't try to push that. But to keep stopping, keep talking, let's see what happens. It's not about his history. It's about his future. It's not about your history. It's about our future. Amen? The future of this church, boy, I hope you can catch it. That is more than just a black church. It's more than just a mixed church. It's more than just an ethnic church. It's more than just a church made up of different racial issues. It is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it should be. Nothing else. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and Paul goes on a little further. He says, but when God who set me, in verse 15, when God who set me apart from birth and called me to his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now, how far back in history does, does Paul go in his relationship with God, even though he didn't know God as the Lord Jesus Christ? He goes all the way back where? When he was born. And what Paul is basically saying, look at what this sovereign God has done in my life. He bought me from being a child, from being a Pharisee, from being zealous and persecuting the church, from being a legalistic individual. He bought me out of all of that to a saving knowledge of himself. Isn't that something? And, and Paul is sharing this history. And he says, boy, I did not consult any man. That word, I don't need man's approval. Let me share something with you. When God speaks to you and God gives you a vision and God has touched your heart about something, you don't need man's approval. You don't need Pastor Brown's approval. You don't need elders' approval. You need to just be obedient to God. And if you're obedient to God, God will show to the rest of us, this is his work. This is his work. And we'll all fall in line with that. Hey. 
because it's the work of the Holy Spirit working in you to be able to accomplish what needs to be done in this life for the glory of God. Not for a church name. Not for a Pastor Brown or elders or anyone else. You're here to do one thing. Please God. Please God. That's your main purpose. Please God. And Paul said, boy, I wasn't looking to please men. I did not consult with any man. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I. But I went immediately to Arabia. And later returned to Damascus. Paul said, I wouldn't worry about those apostles there in Jerusalem. I know who I am. I didn't need their approval. I know what I am. I know what I'm doing. Understand this. And I'm serious about this now. You don't need a license to preach Christ. Understand that. You don't need a formal education to preach Christ. It helps. But what God is looking for is a heart that's willing to obey him and follow him. That's all. Don't need the license. I just do it. When I hear people say, I'm this and I'm that and I'm this here and I'm that there. Well, that's all man's junk. The issue is how you really serving the Lord. Yeah, that's what's important. And I'll show you some people that will out preach a lot of preachers and me included that boy don't have a bit of formal education and never been licensed to preach, but boy they can preach. Or as I like to say, they can really teach. Elaine and I was very fortunate to come up under people who could really teach us the word. It was hard to beat a Burns to Lewis. It was hard to beat him. It was hard to beat a Fred Jennings. It was hard to beat some of the people God put in our lives to help teach us, even before we went to school. And what they taught me helped me to challenge even some of the professors that were at school. And he says, boy, he was taught by the Lord. And then he said, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. Now just take how long Paul has been called and how long it took him to go and introduce himself to Peter and James and some of the others. History tells us that God's hand was on this country as it went through horrible times to become what it is. When I went to Columbia, we went to the black community. Evis took me, her mom, and they showed me where the slaves would be shot. They showed me in order for certain women not to be able to bear children, they showed the tool of how they removed their breasts. It was this whole process of the slaves that were thrown overboard that made it to Columbia. But that's a rich history that they have there. And I'm so glad that they took me there because I learned so much more about my history in a sense. And even some of her history because we had to boil it down. Her complexion didn't just come from her native folks. (laughs) (coughs) But look for God's fingerprint over history. Like Stephen and Paul, if a person worries about personal safety and status, they will accomplish really nothing. If you're willing worried about your own safety, your own riches, your own status, you're not going to accomplish very much. 
Dr. King was an idealist, a visionary. Stephen was an idealist. Paul, an idealist, a visionary. God uses people who have ideals and visions because they come from him. They come from him. He transcended race and ethnicity and nationality and politics. And you and I, in order to build the church here, that God really wants to be built here, we have to overcome our bigotry and our prejudiceness. Black people are prejudiced. We don't think we are, but we are. He talked with those of little education and those who had highest degrees. He walked with all people. And if you look at any of the scenes of the marches, you see all people there. His faith in Jesus prevailed him over fear and uncertainty. Do your faith carry you past the fears and uncertainties of life? Does your faith get you past your fatigue? My prayer this morning was, Lord, you have to help me stand up there this morning. Lord, you got to give me the breath. Lord, you got to help me concentrate. Lord, you got to do this. And he's been faithful. He will help you over the fatigues of life and the depressions of life. He will get you through your depressions if you trust him. Go to Ezekiel chapter 22:30. This is my, you might well say, this is my life verse. Uh, I was at the Coal Falls College and I was at a seminar. And it was at a Baptist church. First Baptist church out on Big A Road. And um, they were holding a men's seminar. And the issue was men who are willing to stand in the gap. And in my old King James, you will find my writing in there, printing, Lord, make me such a man. Lord, make me such a man. Make me a man that will stand in the gap for other people. Make me a man who will not be of his own interest, but the interest of others. He says, I look for a man among them who would build up the walls and stand before me. He got some work to do. The walls are down. And the walls of people's life is down. The walls of a country is down. Drugs are running rapid. We're making laws that are not good laws in allowing legalness of marijuana. Because there's going to be a backlash of that. The walls are down in pregnancies. The walls are down. Now the question is, how do we build the walls? How do we build the walls? And I will take this from God himself in a sense. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, he began to teach them. He began to teach them his ways. He gave them his Ten Commandments, not the commandments of Egypt. He taught them how to work with iron. He taught them how to work with wood and different things other than just make bricks. He began to educate them, even about the other nations around them. The key for society and for any ethnic group 
is its education. Because God uses education to teach us. And as churches, our main focus should be, yes, we're going to see people saved. But to educate people about their salvation and about their God. To educate people. To teach them. And he says simply here, will you stand in the gap on behalf of the land? For what purpose? So I would not have to destroy it. These are some sad words that follow. But I found that. Martin Luther King, I believe, stood in the gap for a nation. He stood in the gap, not just for African Americans, but he stood in the gap for Caucasians. He stood in the gap for many different individuals. And he did that for a reason. And I think oftentimes you and I, we forget the reason for which he stood in that gap. Very quickly, Benjamin Franklin recognized one thing about our Constitution. It's not there. So he says, I agree to this Constitution for all of its faults. Our Constitution has a lot of faults in it. That's why there's a way of amending. Now, understand, what to the American slave is your 4th of July? You're celebrating your country in a sense, but boy, what is that? And when Elaine and I was down south, we discovered the south didn't even celebrate the 4th of July. <laughs> a lot of that has changed since more northerns have moved down and things have changed. But do we know of Frederick Douglass? Are we teaching our young people about Frederick Douglass? This is one of some of my heroes that I like to read at times. MacArthur in World War II. And you, you, you kind of heard me quote this at different times. Old soldiers never die. They just fade away. Old pastors never die, Travis. We just fade away. <laughs> but Eisenhower, Patton, do we have our young people reading about them? Do we have them reading history? Do we have them reading about the first black marshal? Do we have them reading about the first black general? You cultivate a history among the people. And in doing so, when you teach them to read and you teach them to be able to see the possibilities of life, you open the world to them. You open the world to them. And when the world becomes open to us, we dream beyond the boundaries of which we were brought up. We're able to dream way beyond just one world. We're able to dream and we're able to mingle. We're able to socialize with more than just ourselves. And Martin Luther King said, I have a dream. I've seen the promised land. The function of education is to teach one to think intensely and to think critically. Intelligence plus character, that is the goal of true education, Martin Luther King. And that's for everyone. That's for everyone. It's for our children. That our children would have that opportunity to be able to grow up in a society, as King said, not, that is not judged by his race or his color, but that we're judged by our merits and our character. And we need to believe these young people are the dream. They're the dream. When I look at three twins, uh, triplets, sometimes I ask myself, what will they become? 
And sometimes we have their picture on our refrigerator. And sometimes before I open the refrigerator, I pray for them. Because life is not easy. I pray for these sons, older and younger. The older one's going to experience some things that he never thought he would experience. The young one's just having fun right now. I pray for my grandchildren, especially my granddaughters. God, prepare a godly man for them. Give them a man who will be kind and gentle and understanding towards them. You intercede and you dream for them while they can't dream. Well, they're not even thinking about that. Praying for my grandson, Jeremy and Alexis. I continue to call Alexis and every now and then I'll ask Alexis, are you my princess? And she knows what I mean by that. But are you my princess? Hey. You've got to put them up higher than what they can think of themselves. And what they can see themselves. Everett's daughter, she doesn't have no other family over here. And sometimes the kids at the daycare, because she'll call me grandpa, grandpa. And I want to be a grandpa for her. Someone who protects her, someone who can help guide her, someone who can input into her life. And on this side of the ocean and say, I am the grandpa. We stand in the gap for people. We become different things for people. That they all can do what? Dream. That they can dream. That they can dream. Let's pray. Father,